to DC Cinematic Minute, the daily podcast in which we analyze Zack Snyder's Justice League by each individual minute. My name is Mark. You can find me on all social media at Mark Meadows. And my name is Nathan. You can find me on all social media at NoClutchNate. And today we're talking about minute number 86 of Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is going to start with Silas Stone uh, giving some advice towards Victor Stone as he steps into the uh, virtual reality bank that he's in. Mm, Okay. (laughs) The minutes are going to end uh, with Victor continuing to watch this waitress that we will get introduced to in this entire minute. Um, I guess this is like the the truest form of virtual reality, right? By like definition. Yeah, that this is true virtual reality. None of that. None of that VR chat nonsense. Mm -mm. He made his own (laughs) VR chat server. What was the what was the old one? VR boy, you remember that? Uh, I'm view. Uh, I don't Second I'm life. <laughs> well, okay. Now we're just all right. The uh, augmented reality cards you used to get in your uh, DVDs when you bought something. You'd be like, oh, here's a augmented reality baby raptor from Jurassic World, something like yeah. that. Or like or, whatever they're using on Pokemon Go now. I mean, didn't right? they do one for Justice League and it was like an augmented reality mother box? Or am I making that up? I don't make, know. I think I'm making that up. Is this just that something up? that you wanted? No, I don't want that. <laughs> what do you mean augmented reality mother box? Like you just like have like your little Oculus thing and it's just like, let me look on the table. Oh, there's a mother box there. I don't know. I and can't remember. Just, I, there's always some, moving. There's always some AR gimmick with new movies nowadays. Anyways, yeah, today is, is really just all about... Uh, Amanda Maud's character, which is the actress who plays the waitress in this minute. And I got to be honest, when I first saw this with you, Nate, the first time we were watching this movie, I didn't know this was one person's storyline. I thought he was maybe viewing at different people. And then it, it wasn't until later as her story starts to resolve that I was like, oh, it's one person, one person's life that he's changing. And that makes it more relatable, like more sympathetic, and you can empathize with it a little bit more because it's one person's life that he's changing. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I thought it when, when I first saw the movie, I wasn't paying attention that it was the same uh, person throughout um, the little images and stuff like that. I honestly thought it was random people. Mm-hmm. Um, cause like that, you know, like I saw her with the kids and then, you know, she was on, wasn't with the kids, like things like that, where I was like, oh, I didn't realize it was a, you know, a, a peek into this person's life via whatever security cameras or something. Yeah. And um, it doesn't do the thing where like it shows the screen to begin with. And then we go into like an actual set with the character and I know what you you're have, talking about. Yeah. It, it does it later. Well, it does it for real well, later. Victor but- has one and. In, in in Italy, yeah, exactly. When they that's do the, cool. Oh man, Can't when they do that. like the Nazis and stuff like that, then it's like, oh yeah, he's actually, you know, we're we're there in the in the scene with Cyborg. Um, they don't do that here with this one. When he does show up later, he is actually there as a character, um, mm-hmm. and they don't do that here. So they keep it just with you watching this screen, getting to know who this character is. And it's a really good story. 
Like, if you think of this story that he's watching, you understand the character very quickly once you get it, and you feel for the character immediately, and you have an emotional attachment to the character when it's finally resolved, which is interesting to think about because this minute is just a minute. Like, this character's story, it'll get resolved by tomorrow, but that's it. We've come to understand a character in a story that, that Victor is going to directly affect with his superpowers, his superhero ability, um, and wanting to be a hero. This character's story is one minute long. And that really says something because think of the alternatives that we've seen in movies and think about the alternative that we saw in the 2017 version. You don't have a Russian family that you don't care for. You don't have two airplanes that are on a collision course with each other full of people that you don't care for. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are other movies that do this, other superhero movies that create this victim storyline subplot that you just are supposed to be like, okay, they are going to be a vessel for this person's superheroic feat. It works in Superman Returns because... Lois Lane is on the plane, it becomes a whole big scene, and it also symbolizes the return of Superman. It's a big moment. But here, when you're introducing characters that aren't big key characters, this is one minute long. And I care about this more emotionally than I care about the Russian family in the entire 2017 version and other movies that have tried to do something similar. It's impactful. The music is great. And even if it's just a screen with snapshots of this woman's life, I care about her. And I care about it also because this is real. This is what's really happening. You don't have just random clips of someone being homeless or some racist kicking over a basket full of fruit. You know, like, you don't, there's no real attachment or solution being had here. Like, this matters. Yeah. I think one of the most important lines of dialogue from this minute is at the very beginning when Silas is explaining, you know, more to Cyborg. Um, and he says, you know, uh, who you, uh, your ability is to find who you are and who you choose to be. Mm-hmm. As he's saying that, Victor is walking into the bank and it's his, this is all in Victor's reality. He is creating this. So he created this bank. He walked through the doors the doors, you know, beyond those have all these stacks of money that he is himself creating. Yes, they actually exist, you know, but they're represented here. As he's walking through the doors, the stack of money that's like right in front of his face is like, you know, what we're to believe. Oh, that's like the lowest stack in Gotham Bank or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like that's the first one front and center. So to Silas's note, who Victor is and who he chooses to be is still and always going to be that good of a person. His first, like, whatever thought he was creating in his mind to make this bank and all of these stacks of money, him walking in in front and center, he wanted to generate who can I help the most out of this? And it's bingo right there in front of him. It's not Mm -hmm. like he had to walk through, you know, library shelves or what have you or no little... Uh, silly little clock person coming up and saying, hey, how can I help you? How how do I access that? You know, (laughs) things like that, where it's like, this is all Victor. 
he mm-hmm. is still a good person and he chooses to be a good person and it's seen exactly here because he walks right up to the low stack of money and helps and everything it's just all really cool like that's like we were saying his virtual reality victor in victor's reality as well he's still that good of a person yeah even with all the power that his father just like told him that he could have and everything that he was just creating he's like all right bank who needs money let's go i think it's great the way that the minute starts and it just kind of like has silas explaining all the responsibility that you now have and how it defines who you choose to be it's something that we've always talked about with man of steel and dawn of justice wonder woman all the movies we've talked about before is the choices define the character that you're going to be. And that applies to real life. That applies to who you want to be. You know, you can be this waitress or you could be Victor Stone. You can be one side or the other, like omni, like potent, I guess, omnipotent. Um, Omnipotent. Yeah. Omnipotent. Yeah, omnipotent. I got many smells. (laughs) Uh, Or you can be like this waitress and have literally nothing, no ability to do anything. But still the choice is to find who you are. And she still does a lot of, she herself has to make a lot of great choices for her family and for the the well-being of them. And that defines who she is. So you sympathize with the character because you can see her, you know, struggling with her job, struggling the grocery store struggling with her children and still finding time to make them happy when it's their birthday and such. And that is what makes her such a great character. And then you have Victor who sees that and also has a responsibility to change. or He has the ability to change her life. He has a responsibility of whether he should or should not. And we'll see tomorrow what, you know, the choices that he makes, but it just lends itself to being that much more of an emotional impact for the character versus whatever the Russian family was doing. You know, for sure. There's really no choices that the characters make that, you know, affects the storyline or makes us care about the characters. We even see like the the Russian child, she like picks up the can of bug spray, as in like a haha bugs parademons, right? But it's never used in that sense. It's never used to uh, you know create a heroic moment that might have saved a certain character. You know, like, there's nothing where the child does anything heroic about that. There's no choices made there. Um, and so it's it's very it's a very strange um, choice to make for a character. And, and story to write, right? And to create a whole new reshoot, you know, to create this whole new storyline that we then have to string throughout the entire movie, where this is one minute. And, like, I'm in love with this. And that oh, yeah. other thing is is ineffective at best. So it's so it's so bad. A um, couple of cool little um, like dates and times that we have here. I know this they have the uh, social security number for Linda J. Reed, which is the waitress being played here, which is interesting. Oh yeah. So it might hackers be, uh, have have a ball. <laughs> it might be pretty cool for people to uh, comb through these numbers and see you know if there's any relevance to them i won't go through them just because i don't care <laughs> and i don't think it's it's a wise decision to do that but hey maybe it might look like um, a pair of dates for a certain issue or something like that so it might be cool to run back through um but yeah it's it's such a good story that happens here and it's something like i said that we all relate to like we have these struggles um 
more so now than ever, and it happens to more and more people as time goes on, struggling with just being able to pay rent, but also make sure your kids are happy. Not only making sure that they can eat and sleep somewhere, but also that their lives are not truly, you know, downtrodden. You know, like you're, you're stressing out day to day, but you have to make time for the kids to have enjoyment, to make them smile, and to get through the day. And that's what you see here um, in this minute here. And it's such a beautiful thing. Um, and that's, that's all I really had about this one. It was a really good moment for me. It's a very good moment. And it, you know, this, this minute is, there's more to it, obviously. This is just, you know, the first 60 seconds of this part, or even 30 seconds, I guess, of, of Linda's story here. Um, but the impact itself is, is more than, like you were saying, anything that the 2017 version tried to do with the sense of heroics. I mean, in that, in that mindset, heroics are big explosions, cool moves. You, hey, you remember when Batman uh, got in the car? And, uh, you know, it's like, that's like, okay, great. We got this. We honestly, we get that. But this is like fine-tuned storytelling. It's, it's yeah. taking what Cyborg is and like, yeah, you know he's a hero. You know he's that. But like, really, do you know that Victor Stone is as good of a person as you think? I mean, it's it's pretty impactful. Uh, yeah, it's 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 one of those uh, moments where you can tell when one writer is more so thinking of why for a character, and in this case, we're talking about Cyborg, like his why of him being and why he's in the story to begin with. And you have a character like this that helps project your idea of Victor Stone as a, as a character within a story, as a protagonist, and why they are a hero. And then you have other writers who are like, no, we need to have a superhero saving somebody moment. And there's, there's that <laughs> substance, and it's, and it's hollow. It's hollow because you want the idea of a superhero moment instead of why is this making this character great, which is what we see here. It's, yeah. it's two different ways of going about the same thing. This situation is created because of how you want Cyborg to be. The other one is created because you'd rather see that moment to then sell off what the character is. It, it doesn't. It doesn't work either. It's. It's. It's that that point. The the latter is like you're creating that to just have it. Like, yeah, and prove the point. Look, Superman's. He's the good guy. He's saving saved a the building. train. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. It's, like, it's he, like, look, yeah. he's he got the cat out of the tree. He's a good guy. You know. It's Superman. Yeah. And then, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's spoon feeding versus, like, um, it's almost like organically marketing. coming to that. Yeah. It's like marketing. It's like marketing the character, but, like, you're never really selling the product. Like, this is the product. This is, this right here, what we're seeing is Cyborg, you know, being a hero. Like, this is what we've come to see. And it's like, we see Superman doing the same thing in Man of Steel and Dawn of Justice. But in yeah. Justice League, it's more like, we need to market that the Boy Scout Superman is here. He's, but he's back, not, baby. But he's never really doing anything that is substantial. So it doesn't, it's just like, okay, 
you, we, you put the poster, you might as well just have a two hour, you know, screen time of just Henry Cavill posing as Superman and just have that image there for two hours and say, thank you. All right. Your time's up. You can leave now. Like a museum. Can I buy tickets to that? <laughs> you can might I, as well can just we choose it, which Henry photo they're going to put up? Huh? Just make it an exhibit and that's it. Like why even, why even have the characters do anything? Like if you're going to cut flash down to just pushing a, a pickup truck and then saying Dostoevsky and then leaving, it's like, why even have the flash in the movie? Like why, why replace that? He's comedy baby. The whatever he does in this movie, which we haven't gotten to yet, but it's, it's one of those things like, what are we selling here and why are we just selling it and not praising it and and diving into it? So it's an odd, odd little thing to, it's just someone else trying to make their own movie at this, that point. Fine tuned storytelling, write that one down. Um, but that's all I had for this one, Nate. I don't know if you have anything else for this one. There's plenty more to no, talk that about is, tomorrow. Yeah, definitely more to talk about tomorrow. Um, I did. We did. We. Uh, I did want to ask you, Mark. Um, little treat for the listeners here. You <laughs> uh, were able to uh, go to go to a convention where Ray Fisher was was at, and uh, I was curious how that all went. And uh, I believe you were able to ask a question and. He was able to answer it. I'm pretty sure we're going to play that question and answer on this show. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was a great time. Um, I was still a little nervous, you know, going out in public because of pandemic situations. And, mm-hmm. you know, like there was a lot of guests that were dropping out. And that's not like my main concern was just like, oh, you know, what if he doesn't show up? It was also like, no, that's a real concern. I wouldn't be surprised if he did cancel. But me, myself, going there and wearing a mask and trying to keep your distance when literally everyone is just shoulder to shoulder on you at a convention. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something that you go through. And so, so convention rules still, still apply. Even, even COVID post COVID world, con- COVID convention world, there were still shoulder to shoulder at the Lego yeah, stand. It was, at the Hasbro it was still, stand, I still need my, okay. It was still very much a crowded traffic jam of a convention. Man. And everyone still getting was, Boba Fett tattoos in there. Yeah, there was still a tattoo, uh, Unsanitary. Alley, cosplay alley, artist alley, all those things. It was, um, everyone was wearing masks, of course, because you have to. Um, so that was nice. And then I even saw some cosplayers, they buy the see-through plastic mask shield so that they could be their cosplay characters and also like still show the face. Be protective. You put yeah. a whole bunch of makeup into it and you want to do it. Um, which is really nice to see. It was really cool. Um, and yeah, Ray Fisher was there, uh, which was pretty cool. I didn't know he was doing a Q and a panel. So I had to quickly think of like, you know, what to ask him or something like that, if I even could. Um, and before him was, uh, Stephen Amell who plays arrow, the green arrow, um, Who's that? Oliver queen on the CW. Hmm? So it was really Come cool. Again? Hey, that auditorium was packed. Like I'm telling Pardon? you, like, like the Ray Fisher Q and A panel was like moderately, you know, the auditorium was kind of full, and it was the same auditorium that we saw George Lucas being interviewed by John Stewart back in Star Wars okay. Celebration. Yeah, and, good times, good memory. And uh, so it was that auditorium, and for Stephen Amell, it was packed. It was every seat was full, and the Ray Fisher one, it was like moderately, it was like half as many. Um, so that Stephen Amell one was huge. So we waited for the Ray Fisher one. And um, it was a great time. Um, He talked a lot about not only Ray Fisher, but playing Muhammad Ali, 
Um, and True Detective season three, which I really liked. That's a phenomenal uh, show just in general. And and then, you know, like he did, he took a lot of Q and A's. Um, obviously, stuff about his relationship with Warner Brothers and and the Snyder Cut and Walter Hamada came up, and he was very like, you know, expressive and 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 able to talk about that stuff, which was great because he didn't like hide away from it. He didn't be like, oh, I didn't want, I don't want to talk about that stuff. Um, someone did ask him to say booyah on camera, and he said, I will not, <laughs> which is really good because he has a um, a disdain for how the studio made him say that line for the 2017 version. So I found that a little insensitive when that person asked that, but I meant, I'm sure they meant it in a good way. Um, mm-hmm. Some other questions I might talk about later in the show. When we get to that certain minute, I might be like, Oh yeah, he mentioned this part here and talked a little bit about it. So um, I'll mention that later on in the episode. Um, but one of the other cool things was, he also really wanted to play the Flash character um, before he got casted as Cyborg. That was a character he was like, oh, I really wish I could play Barry Allen. Like, that would be, like, a cool power and just a cool character to be, um, which is really cool. So, yeah, I got to a- ask him a question uh, this weekend, and I think we have that clip. So why don't we go ahead and play it? Hello. 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 What up, Ray? Also, hi, guys. How are you doing? Hey. <laughs> uh, my question, I was curious to know, like, any other characters in, like, literature or theater that helped influence your portrayal of Cyborg? Uh, well, I drew a lot of inspiration from Cyborg itself, but particularly the earlier rendition of Cyborg, like the original. Yeah. Uh, Teen Titans from Marvel and George Perez's 1980 run. Wow. That's it. That is where I drew a lot of the inspiration for the emotional life of the character, and they had drawn it out so clearly, and I think so, uh, in such a deep way, that all we had to do is, not to say copy-paste, but, you know, you, you feel a lot of that, that same sort of, uh, that same sort of emotionality behind the character. I know Chris Terrio, who wrote the film, is like, he was reading everything. You know, anything that you can sort of work in, anything that could lead to that inspiration, uh, you would definitely consult the comics first, because that's, that's essentially like your Bible when you're looking at material like this. So it's, it's cool to be able to pick and choose what you want to use for whatever renditions, uh, and leave behind what doesn't. So thank you. Thank you. So yeah, it was a great time. Um... I was really nervous at first, but he was a great guy. It's finally really cool to see him in person. I think that was amazing, just in general. Um, and I can't wait to maybe see him again sometime. But yeah, we'll um, we'll have some more of these moments throughout the you know our journey of covering these minutes, where I get to talk about some of the questions he answered. Because I think one of them is coming up on Wednesday, actually. So Wednesday, yeah, yeah, honestly, it's. I was going to say it's pretty exciting that the timing of of him being at MegaCon and you being able to go there and you know get some insight into all this. It's yeah. pretty phenomenal that it matched up with you yeah, know how, how crazy this schedule has been for this show. It's like I don't know how that I don't know how that happened. I don't know how that matched up. Yeah, to to be talking about this segment here and how it relates in general like with like him meeting him being in Orlando and all that. It was like especially when we were recording like the week prior 
and it was like, oh, that's a good question to ask him because we're talking about mm-hmm. it right now. So, yeah, absolutely. And it was great for him to, like, mention what Chris Terrio was also influenced by. So I think um, next on my bucket list as far as, like, Zack Snyder's Justice League stuff is to ask Chris Terrio specifically a question because I would love to pick at that man's brain. I so, got him on speed dial. You want me to call him up right now? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, no, no, I, double I, feature I heard, for you listeners. No, I'm just kidding. That's not going to make sense. Chris Terrio has said that, like, you know, Zack Snyder is open to talk to fans and all that. And, like, Chris Terrio is not because, like, everything he puts on paper is, like, you know, calculated and, like, he do has it. time. Yeah. He has time to think it. about it. He has time to, like, be verbose in his in his way of speaking that when people ask him questions, he's, like, really nervous so it's like it's a little bit different to but so i, I would that. love to just be able to to sit down and and you know have a comfortable conversation with them so uh yeah but without further ado let's wrap up for today if you guys enjoyed everything you heard you can find us on all social media at dceu minute and the facebook group the dc cinematic minute listener society where you can join us to talk about today's minute or any minutes you guys are catching up on And we'll catch you guys tomorrow for minute number 87 of Zack Snyder's Justice League.